have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. You're probably wondering why I'm up here this morning since in the weekly newsletter it was supposed to be Josh preaching. Um, So we kind of had a technological uh, breakdown late last night and as Josh was going to print off his sermon, his screen went black. And uh, so thankfully I have some old sermons um, in my, on my computer and um, unless you're Alfredo, you probably don't remember this sermon. So this, I think I preached this about three and a half years ago at Grace Fellowship, and um, so Alfredo, I apologize. You could probably bet, know it better than me. Um, so we're looking at John 11, and uh, I'm going to read the passage for us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dig right into it. So John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were, there, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this powerful passage, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. We know that you have a purpose for why all things have happened in this world. You have a purpose for even in this story, for the death of Lazarus. And Lord, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be moved and that we would leave here in awe of who Jesus Christ is. We pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> when Josh called me last night, I, I was kind of laughing um, and just thought that God has a sense of humor. And I was thinking to myself, like, why is this happening all of a sudden? But as I was actually going through these sermon notes afterwards late at night, um, I was reminded that God has a purpose and a plan for even a broken computer screen. He's involved in the very details of our lives. So I don't, Mike, I don't know what God's purpose is for why that happened last night. I don't know, maybe this morning, if there's someone here that needs to hear this specific sermon. I have no idea. And I might not ever know. Um, but this passage is, is very dear to me. Because the first time I ever preached this passage, I, I used to, when I was in my early 20s, go up to Wiki Native Reserve on Manitoulin Island. And I used to preach at a little native church, probably about 50 people in this church. And I'd go up once a month while I was doing my studies in Bible college, and I'd, I'd preach there to the congregation. And this one specific week, I, I was planning to go up, and the sermon that I was working on just wasn't coming together. And on that Thursday, the day before I drove up, um, all of a sudden I just felt this need to preach John 11, and I began to unpack John 11 and little did I know that later that day I would get a phone call from Shirley, who ran the ministry up there, and informed me that, that a teenage girl, one of the young girls in the church, had hung herself the night before. And so now as a 22-year-old young punk, I had to go up to a congregation of 50 and preach to them out in light of the fact that one of their children had just committed suicide. And I really believe that God had given me John 11 for that Sunday morning. And I pray that that would maybe be the same this morning for some of us. 
Now, to give us a little context to this passage, in chapter 10, the Jews try to arrest and even attempt to stone Jesus based upon the things that he has said about himself. And this leads him to go away across to the Jordan, across the Jordan. Now, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are from Bethany, which is just two miles outside of Jerusalem. So to enter Bethany would be dangerous for Jesus at this point because he's just fled Jerusalem. Now the three of them, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, seem from this passage to be very dear to Jesus. He loves them. They were probably deep followers of Jesus Christ. And based upon the message that Mary and Martha send to Jesus, it's very clear that he loved them. Now that's chapter 10, and then there's chapter 11, which we're going to look at, and then chapter 12 starts off with a week before Passover. And it's not a coincidence that the, that the last miracle that Jesus does, and probably the greatest miracle in the Gospel of John, is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But it's a week before his own death. In other words, I think that John is intentionally putting this here a week before Passover to give us a foretaste of the resurrection of Jesus. So here in John 11, we see this incredible story of the resurrection of Lazarus. And the first thing that I want us to see in this passage is that this illness, this sickness that Lazarus has, has a purpose. It's not meaningless. It's not random. It's not chance. It's not just luck. There's meaning and there's a reason for why it's happening. So look at, look at verses 1 through 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So this illness, this sickness that has come upon Lazarus has a purpose. It has a purpose. It's very similar to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 9, verse 3 to 4, where, where the man that was born blind was not born blind because of his or his parents' sin, but that the works of God might be displayed in his life. So Jesus is saying that this sickness that leads to Lazarus' death is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now this is just, just a, a truth that, that the Scriptures continue to testify and point to that, that everything you and I have gone through as followers of Jesus has a purpose. It's not meaningless. There's not one thing that you will go through in this life that is meaningless. There is always meaning to it, even the breaking of a computer screen. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 7, Peter speaks of this. He says, in this you rejoice, rejoicing, of course, in the promises, the inheritance of the promises of, of verse 3 and 6. And he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So Peter's saying here that, that sometimes in God's providence, it is necessary for you and I to be grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Romans 8.28, one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now he says all things. What is all things? Well, all things is everything. But in the context of Romans 8, Paul unpacks specific things for us. He speaks of weaknesses and sicknesses, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. It does not matter what it is. Cancer, loss of a child, marital strife, disabilities, being wronged or sinned against, betrayal, deceived, abuse. Paul says here that all things, all things in life that we experience, good and bad, are being worked out for our good. It reminds us of Joseph with his brothers when they betray him, they kidnap him, they send him off to Egypt, and Joseph responds to them when it all comes to an end that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now notice that Joseph doesn't say what you meant for evil, God used for good. He's saying, no, no, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God had a purpose. God God was providentially involved in Joseph's life. And imagine if if our hearts and our minds really grasped this truth. Now, I I realize that some of us here have gone through horrific trials. And you you might be saying, yeah, but, but Peter, like these trials that I've gone through, they were unbearable. And I have no doubt that they probably were. But I can promise you this morning that they were not meaningless. You might not be able to see the meaning, but we live by faith and not by sight. It's not meaningless. It has a purpose. And in this passage in regards to Lazarus, John tells us that it was for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now I'm going to explain that later, but the first thing I just want us to see is that this illness, this sickness has a purpose. It's not meaningless. God has providentially allowed this to happen to Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Second thing I want us to see is this. Jesus' actions in this passage are driven by love. They're driven by love. Look at verses 2 three, and uh, two through 5 again. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So that's what, we're, that's what you find out in the next chapter. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So, we're told twice, very specifically, that Jesus loved these three. Lord, the one whom you love is ill. And then we're told Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now, why does John inform us of this? Why does he bring attention to the love of Jesus in this passage? Well, the reason is simple. 
Because Jesus' response to the news would cause us to doubt that he actually loves them. Right? He hears the news, Lord, the one you love is, is, is ill, and Mary and Martha, in light of that, are expecting that Jesus is going to hear the news, and what's he going to do? He's going to come to them. But he doesn't. It says in verse 6, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The reason why John is informing us that Jesus truly loves them is because Jesus' actions tell us something different. If any of us experienced something like this, we would conclude that there's no way Jesus loves us. If we sent word to him, come, the one you love is ill, and he doesn't come, you would conclude that Jesus doesn't actually love them. But we know that Jesus isn't indifferent. We know that he is one who is consumed with love for his people. Lazarus is his friend. And although the text does not show it, I am guessing that Jesus was feeling deep emotions for his friend when he heard the news that Lazarus was ill. And yet in verse 6, he stays where he is. See, Jesus does the exact opposite of what all of us would consider to be love. Nobody views love this way. Apart from the Spirit of God changing our hearts to see what love really is in this text, there's no way that you would conclude that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Remember, Jesus knew that by delaying, Lazarus would die, and we know this because of verse 14, right? Look at verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus knows that when he hears this news that Lazarus is ill, he knows that that Lazarus is going to die, and yet he doesn't go to them. And in verse 15, we're told that for the disciples' sake, Lazarus has died, and I am glad, that's what he says, I am glad that I was not there that you may believe. So by Jesus waiting two more days, Jesus knows that he's going to prolong the pain, the sorrow, and mourning of Mary and Martha. He knows that. He knows he's going to prolong their pain. Think about this. He not only knows that Lazarus is going to die, he also knows that by him waiting two more days, He's going to allow Mary and Martha to experience the sorrow of losing someone they love very deeply. He doesn't prevent it from happening. He allows it by not going. And some of us have been enduring pain for a very long time. You've been suffering for a very long time. But I want you to know that Christ knows. But not only that, he's in control. He's in control, and there is a purpose to this prolonged suffering in your life. And the reason it's still there is because Christ actually does love you because you are His. He hears, He doesn't respond, He waits, He allows Lazarus to die, and the reason He does all of that is because of love. Now, we have a scene change from verses 1 to 16 to verses 17 to 45. In verses 1 to 16, Jesus and the disciples are across the Jordan. 
But in verses 17 to 45, Jesus comes back to Bethany and encounters the two sisters and the crowds. And what I want us to see is the heartbreaking, confusing doubts of the sisters and even the crowd and how Jesus responds to them. There's this thinly veiled questioning of his love, a suspicion, a doubt of his love for them. So as Jesus is coming to the village, Martha hears hears word that he's coming, and she goes to him in verse 20. And look at what Martha says in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right? That, that's how all of us think when something happens in our lives that is horrific. Lord, if you had been there, Lord, where were you? Do you not love me? And yet in verse 22, we see that Martha hasn't fully given up on Jesus. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. God will give you. And then if you look down to verse 32, you have Mary's response. Right? Mary hears that Jesus is, has come, and, and this is what Mary says to Jesus. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So the exact same words that Martha expressed. And then in verses 33 to 37, you have the crowd's response. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You ever felt this way? Jesus, if you you can raise the dead, why have you allowed my loved ones to die? Jesus, if, if you had been here in the midst of my suffering. Jesus, where were you to prevent the the loss of my child? Do you not love me? Have you forgotten me? Jesus answers this in two ways. He shows his love in two ways to the people, specifically to Mary and Martha. The first, which might surprise you, is by his anger and sorrow by his anger and sorrow look at verses 33 and 35 again when Jesus saw her weeping in his spirit and greatly troubled and he said where have you laid him sorry I'm, I'm in the wrong spot here um, go back up to Yes, okay, verse 33, yeah. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So we're told here that Jesus was deeply moved. Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly Troubled. Now, this, this phrase here, deeply moved, in the Greek, the word actually has the idea of anger. He, he was outraged in his spirit. He was greatly troubled. What was he angry towards? Well, the commentators usually say two different things, that he was 
either angry towards death itself, as he, as he beheld the tomb of Lazarus, he was overcome with anger at the fact that death is a reality in this fallen world, while others say that the, it was the questioning of Jesus' love, the lack of faith and trust of Mary and the crowd, in light of the fact that Lazarus had died. And I would argue that it's probably both. The anger that he expresses over the frailty of humanity, that, that at one moment we can trust him and love him, with everything, and then our circumstances change, and we begin to question his love. And yet it's also the fact that, that he's angry at death. He's angry at death. You know, this, this anger towards their, their, their lack of faith and trust in him is similar to his interaction with the disciples, right? You see this several times in the Gospels, where he rebukes them for their lack of faith, despite all the evidence of his love and faithfulness towards them. So we see this, this, this loving anger that Jesus actually is feeling, is expressing in this moment of faithlessness, but also in this moment of death. We see his rage and anger towards death itself. We know that death is the enemy of God. God is the author of life, not death. Death is a result of the fall when sin entered the world. And though we see an angry Jesus, we also see a sorrowful Jesus who shares in the sorrow and suffering of Mary and the people. We see the, the weeping Jesus, right? The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. I think that's just, this is profound because Jesus was on the verge of perhaps his greatest miracle. But he expressed and felt the deep feelings of grief and sorrow over those whom he loved. He wept with them at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He joined them in their suffering, despite the fact that just in a few moments he was going to raise them from the dead. You know, there's no one who knows the suffering of this fallen world more than Jesus himself. All you have to do is look to the cross, stained with his own blood. He was forsaken by his father. He tasted death. He experienced the wrath of God. He bore the sin of the world. Isaiah 53 uh, verses 3 to 6 speaks to the sorrow of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Christ has actually borne our sorrows, our griefs, in his body. This is the love of God, that he would bear our sorrows and bear our griefs and bear our diseases and bear our sins on our behalf. Jesus knows the suffering of this world better than any. Now I want us to see something that just causes me to be in awe of who God is. It reminds me that God is God, and I'm not. The Jesus who looks upon the tomb of Lazarus with rage and anger towards death and evil is the same Jesus who several verses earlier can say to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there. So he's enraged at the death of his friend, and yet he's glad for the sake 
of his disciples' faith. Not only that, but the Jesus who is enraged at at the death of Lazarus is the same Jesus who says this sickness or death is is for the glory of God. It marvels me that that Jesus can be enraged at the death of his friend and yet at the same time see the death of Lazarus as the means by which God's glory is going to be displayed. You see, Jesus isn't like, he's not indifferent. Truth matters to him, but emotions matter as well. It's not as though Jesus shows up there and he's, he's like, well, this is for the glory of God. You don't need to be crying You don't need to feel anything. You need to be a stoic. That's not the way Jesus works. He's about to do the greatest miracle that he does before he himself rises from the dead, and he's overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. So Jesus shows or displays his love by his anger and sorrow. Secondly, he shows his love by displaying the glory of God. Now to explain this, it causes us to go back to the beginning in verses 4 and 6. Jesus says in verse 4, this illness or death is for the glory of God. How? How? We'll look at verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So this illness, this death is for the glory of God. How? Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. In those words, the glory of God is revealed. The glory of God is displayed through the words, Lazarus, come forth. And through those words, a dead man comes back to life. This is how this death is for the glory of God. It is to display the power of God over death itself. Now, how is Christ glorified through this? Because in verse 4, Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So through through Jesus speaking, the power of God is revealed. God's glory is revealed. But how is Christ glorified through it? For the glory of God is different than so that the Son will be glorified through it. Jesus speaks, Lazarus come forth, And the power of God is being displayed through Jesus speaking. And when the people see the power of God being displayed through Jesus' mouth, they realize that Jesus has authority and power over death itself. And when they see this, as verse 45 says, many of the Jews believed in him. 
So Christ is glorified through Lazarus' death because they see the power of God displayed through Christ and it causes Martha, Mary, the disciples, and many of the Jews to believe upon him. Meaning they place their trust in him. They put their faith in him. Through this miracle, their faith is strengthened in Christ and therefore Christ is glorified through their faith because faith is always an act of trust and worship. And so here we have in this passage Jesus showing his love through joining them in their suffering, but he also shows his love by displaying the glory of God by raising Lazarus from the dead. Now here's how verses 5 and 6 works into this, where we're told that Jesus loved them. How is it loving for Jesus to wait two more days and allow Lazarus to die? That's the question that we have to ask and answer. How is it loving for Jesus to allow Lazarus to die? What I believe we're being told is this. It is more loving of God to allow Lazarus to taste death and to allow Martha and Mary to experience sorrow and pain in order that they might see the glory of God. Meaning, the most loving act that God could do for us is to reveal his glory and to make himself known to us. And in so doing, we get to behold the glory of God and experience God. This is why in John 17, 3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not going to heaven. Eternal life is knowing God. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 4.6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the goal of redemption is to know God and to behold Him in all of His radiance and glory. And so for Jesus to allow Lazarus to die and allow Mary and Martha to suffer for a season, for a temporary time, enables Him to be able to show the glory of God to them, which is the very thing they need more than anything else. This is why it's loving for Jesus to allow Lazarus to die, to prolong their pain so that they might see and behold God's glory. You see, it would be very wrong of us to determine God's love for us based upon how good our circumstances are. God's love for you can't be defined by whether you're going through some kind of disease or or whether you're not, or whether you're poor, or or whether you're rich. God's love for you is defined by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and him giving more of himself to you in all of his fullness and glory. Remember Job? A righteous man and blameless in all his ways. Yet God allowed him to lose his children, his home, his flocks, 
God then allowed Satan to afflict his own body with sores. Why? Why? God allowed Job to experience the deepest levels of suffering that a human can experience. Why? When you read the end of Job, it's in order that Job might have a greater revelation of God. It's that he might see and behold God in a way that he didn't before. That he might have a greater knowledge of him. That he might behold God in all of his glory. Friends, God will sometimes allow things in your life in order that you might know him more. In order that you might see the wonder of his glory more. To close, we need to ask this question. Why does Jesus have this authority? Why does he have this power to raise a man from the dead simply by speaking words? Well, the answer goes all the way back to Genesis 1. When God said, let there be light, there was light. The voice of God brings life. But here... In verses 23 to 26, we're told specifically why Jesus has the power to raise a man from the dead. Verses 23 to 26. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's why Jesus has the authority and the power to raise a man from the dead. Because he is the resurrection and the life. And that anyone who believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live forevermore. As R.C. Sproul says about this statement of Jesus, I hold the keys of life and death. I am the foundation, the power of life itself, and I have the power to raise dead people from the grave. I don't just teach the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am the very power of God unto life. See, for those of us who put their trust and faith in the resurrection of life, Jesus, death is not the end. There is resurrection hope where one day we will be raised with Christ, we will be glorified with Christ, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any pain or sorrow or crying anymore, for he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. Death is not the end for the children of God. And this is why Paul can say in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Sometimes I wonder if Paul truly grasps the sufferings of this world. But we know that Paul suffered horrifically. And he's able to say that it's not worth comparing The sufferings that we experience now are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-17, Paul writes about his own ministry and he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, light 
momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. To my brothers and sisters in the Lord, remember this. That Christ loves you so much that he's even willing to let you experience momentary suffering in order that you might behold his glory and experience the deeper levels of his love for you. And remember that no matter what you will suffer, whether in the past, present, or future, though they are legitimate and real and painful, Paul can say that they are light and momentary in comparison with the eternal resurrected glory that is to be revealed to us. That is our hope as Christians. And friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you haven't put your trust in Jesus. Jesus is not some other religious option. Jesus is not some religious guru who has moral ideals for you to live by. Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life. Jesus claims that by believing in him, by trusting in him, though you die, yet you shall live forevermore. That for some reason, by placing your trust in a human person, the man Jesus Christ, who claimed to be God in the flesh, that by placing your trust in him, because he is the resurrection and the life, Even though you die, you shall live. Because your sins are forgiven through Christ's death and resurrection. And so I implore you this morning. I plead with you this morning. What keeps you back from trusting in Christ? What is holding you back from turning to him and saying, Jesus, I need you. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness. I put my trust in you alone to deliver me from my sins. What is keeping you from doing that this morning? I beg with you, turn to him and put your trust in the resurrection and the life. I end with this. I I began at the beginning telling you about that situation when I went up north in the funeral and I got to go to the, the funeral that the reserve was, was having for the whole community. And I was amazed to see the difference in response between the natives who were not followers of Jesus and those who were. It was startling to me. It was the first time I've ever really experienced a tragic death, a funeral where it was a tragic death. And the Christians who were there were so filled with hope and joy, yes, sorrow and pain, but hope and joy in contrast to those who did not know Jesus. And this is what it means to be a Christian, that even though we get knocked down in this life, And we will experience things like Mary and Martha experienced. We have an unshakable, unbreakable hope that Jesus Christ is going to make his glory known and he's going to make all things new. Christian, rest in that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.
And Lord, we thank you for the reminder this morning of your unusual love. Lord, often what we think is love according to our society is not what love is according to you. So thank you for the reminder this morning of Jesus' love for us, even in our sufferings, that he has a purpose, he has a goal for us. And Lord, I pray that each of us would learn to look to you in the midst of suffering, and Lord, that by your Spirit you would help us to behold the glory of Christ in the midst of it all. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.